Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 317 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode I chat to Scott Swarbrick of Bilky T Studios about their future sports sim Hyper Brawl Tournament. This is a really good chat about a really good game. It's really well crafted, honed, polished, in a really good way. Because you can have things that are too polished, too sort of buffed and to the point where they become transparent and then don't really have any substance to them but not this hyperball tournament is a lovely just impactful game it's a word i don't think of it just feels so tactile again all these trite terms that we've heard so often in video game reviews and lands over the years i'm sorry i should have a better vocabulary but they're the words that immediately spring to mind when i think about hyperball tournament an impactful well-developed well-crafted game it's just so tightly built and the experience is so well defined and sort of sectioned out in a way that matches your own personal playstyle. Whether we want to play it for hours or just about 20 minutes, it still just fits all of those things. It's just, yeah, we'll expand on, or I expand on this later on in the show, which you probably want to listen to right now. You do, don't you? You want to listen to not me from now but from the past right should we do that chris please get us out of this hole scott who are you and what do you do so i'm scott and i'm a game designer at milky tea studios and uh, we're a fairly small indie company based in liverpool in the uk and we've just recently released our game hyperbrawl tournament on pc and consoles indeed you have which is why you're here and Liverpool has a storied history of video game development. I mean, it's, it's been lots of very, very, very famous studios that come out of Liverpool and the environs around it. Um, I'm sort of pointing at stuff like um, Signosis, for example. They're probably one of the most famous Liverpool studios, are they not? Yeah, that's true. So that's yeah. probably a little bit before my time. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. I was born in the 90s, so it yeah. predates me a little bit. Yeah. But 
it, a lot of those people still exist. So obviously that studio has kind of gone now, but then Sadly, fragmented yeah. off to a bunch of other studios around yeah. the area. So now if we go for a, a coffee or something like somewhere in town to meet someone, say, oh, that's the guy that was like producer on this game. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. whoa, okay, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there's there's a, a good scene for development in Liverpool. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so, how did you make your start making video games, Scott? Uh, so, it kind of it was like a little bit of a hobby when I was a kid, I guess. Um, okay. I've always enjoyed video games, but there was a point um, when I was sort of in high school and I was like what actually goes into making these? Because it just seems like a magical thing that you play and you're like, this is amazing. And then it kind of dawned on me that there's actual work and stuff that goes into that. And then I was just really curious about how all that came together. Um, so I guess fortunately when I was finishing school, um, I actually found um, a college that kind of supported game design as a course. Um, so I did that and it gave me the foundations in what was involved, um, which was exciting and scary at the same time because it was a lot more complex than I originally thought. Um, and then I actually went to uni and did a degree in game design as well. So um, I've got quite an educational background on it. Um, but then whilst I was doing those things, I was making my own little projects and um, doing game jams. And I was kind of lucky enough to do a few little sort of experiences at other studios doing bits of QA and internships and things um so that's kind of where it started and then about four and a half years ago now I started at Milky Tea um and I've been a designer there since so it's going well sounds like to me that you did the thing that a lot of people don't get and one of the things that I get from you and what you describe that is you have you may disagree or but this my my observation from what you described is focus you had a goal and you latched onto it and then wouldn't let go you know <laughs> and yes you got distracted with other things but not to the point where you didn't actually achieve and are achieving what you want set out to do is actually make games and many people sort of start off thinking oh this will be interesting and then they go off and they maybe study programming and then find, then do computer science at university or something and find themselves writing insurance software for the rest of their lives. That does happen, but not you. You know, yeah, you, I, you, you, you double down. Yeah, I think in some ways it's maybe more sensible to go and do like a computer science degree or yes. a degree in some sort of art or something. And then you can go and get into game development from there yes but you've also got all those other routes of if it doesn't quite work out you can go and make a you know that insurance software or something like that <laughs> indeed um but i just didn't want to do that like of course you i was sort of i was willing to make that risk of just going i want to be in the games industry that's what i want to do and hopefully it works out um, and it's also the fact that people now need to understand is that video game and game creation is a field of study. It's an actual, yeah. it's a field, you know, it's a, uh, a, a, how can I put it? It's a, a specialist study field that is really, has now, not, not way back when, when it started, it didn't exist, but now there are tomes and tomes and books and books and racks and racks about this subject alone. 
right? I mean, you must have read yeah. some. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that, uh, and that to me says like, yeah, there you go. It's perfectly valid field of study, just as much as it is, you know, astrophysics is. They both yeah. have very different, yeah. but they're, they are a thing. And, uh, it, it's, that's what really bothers me is people don't really understand that actually, and having been hosting a show now for seven years and talking to, now hundreds of developers and asking these questions and talking to them, it is clear to me that there is, of course there is, of course it is a, a, a valid field of study that can be researched and reviewed. And indeed, there are PhDs now. People have made PhDs based on this very field. So, shush, those who say it's <laughs> not a not a valid, you know, I do know um, people have done studies on the evolution of controllers. And I find that fascinating because, you know, with the PlayStation 5 arriving, I got mine and then I put my PlayStation 1 controller right next to the PS5 and I put a picture on Twitter and I said, well, started here and this is where we're at now. (laughs) (laughs) And they were just, they were the same shape, (laughs) but they're, they're just like, you know, 25 years of development is the start. Absolutely stark. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, fair play to that you actually stuck yeah, to your sure. guns. And that's my best advice for anyone who wants to get into the field of video game development is stick, don't let things get, you don't get distracted, which is a very hard thing to say to someone who likes video games is not get distracted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. And I've learned that lesson. But yeah. I, I could never argue that you have to go into like it through an educational path. Um, you know, you could certainly go and do a degree in something completely unrelated and in your own spare time, you can just make games and, and learn things and get into it that way. Um, you know, it depends on the person. Like, I think if you're really, really motivated and willing to spend extra time learning, then you can totally just kind of go in without doing a degree, without doing this, that and the other. Um, but for me, it really helped just give me the, the sort of foundations of everything involved in the industry and what it takes to make certain parts of a game and and also just introduce me to people that were already in the industry. So uh, on my uni course, there was a lot of people that uh, that worked in the industry in the 90s and 2000s and also a few people that have their own studios now. Um, so it allowed me to talk to people that I was like aspiring to be and work with in the future, which I think you can't really get without doing that sort of thing. Indeed, indeed. And you're right, there's many, many different routes to, into the industry, not just the, I mean, the one you described is relatively recent. The fact that you could go to university and study this, study this 30 years ago, 20 years ago, those courses didn't exist. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but, uh, okay. Next question then. As a creator of things, and you can answer this on behalf of Milky Tea or indeed yourself. It's entirely up to you. But the question is this. What do you believe your biggest influences are? Ooh, it's a good question. I think for me, it's sort of split up a little bit. Um, when I first really, really got into development, uh, I was playing a lot of world of warcraft which is kind of completely 
separate to what I'm doing now because that's this absolutely humongous game that requires a million people working on it. But that was the first game that I got like truly invested in as a developer so I could see how it was all put together and things like that. So that's always been like a big inspiration for me. But then on the other side of it, I've always really just enjoyed seeing what indie companies are doing, uh, whether it is a one man team that is, you know, making their own game somewhere um, or whether it's, you know, a small group of people. But I, I always like looking at that indie community just as a, a source of like the amount of passion and creativity that goes into it and the cool things that people are trying out. Um because it's, you know, it's a little bit less commercial. People aren't in it just to make money. There's a lot of like fun stuff and creative things. Um, so obviously being in the industry now, I'm kind of lucky enough to, to know a bunch of those people and be able to work with them and, um, bounce ideas back and forth. And like, as we were saying earlier, like the, the games industry is quite a close knit community and everyone generally is really friendly and helpful. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like lots of indie companies and the people that work for them are the biggest influence for me. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's really good. Um, I get a lot of answers to that question. You're right. You pause there because you probably haven't really thought about it much. <laughs> no. And uh, I, did, but I do think it's an important question to ask someone who makes stuff. Okay. Well, what drives you? What What's the thing you keep on? The, the orbit that you, you don't ask to orbit, like oh god, what this again? This is, but no, it's it's you're right. It's the, those who you work with and and and, the, and your peers. That's wonderful. It's very it's it's laudable. So thank you. Speaking of peers, uh, next question kind of flows from the last. Really, is um, as the all all these questions do. You'll find that. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Ooh. Um, another question that I've not thought about really before. Yeah. Who do you go, you there, you, keep doing the thing <laughs> you do, it's awesome. Excluding yourselves, of course. <laughs> um, oh God, I, I could name a few names, I guess. You can have one on one, you can have one on one, I'm not going to be draconian <laughs> and say, no, no, it can only be one. So, I guess the first one that comes to mind is probably Tim Schafer. Mm-hmm. Um, just for, <clears throat> I think his vision for the games that he makes is really nice. And I think um, just looking at the things he's done over the years and kind of sticking to what he knows best um, is, is really inspiring and, and the way that he writes games and things like that. Um I would probably say the guys at Vlambia, even though that kind of doesn't exist anymore, right? That's Sadly, not. Kind of no. defunct now. Yeah. But those guys I came across, like, as I was at uni, um, and it, it clicked with me that they're just two guys making a game. And obviously they're massively talented and amazing at what they do. But I was like, that's kind of achievable. Like, and they're really passionate about what they do. Yeah. Um, and they were always open to kind of sharing their principles and thoughts behind things, which was always really good as someone trying to learn and get in, get into game development. Yeah. Um, and then maybe as a bit of a wild card, just Kojima for 
<laughs> for his sort of uh, crazy mind and just, yeah, making his games really unique, I suppose. And the games which I've enjoyed growing up playing like Metal Gear Solid and stuff like that. Um, so I, I always sort of look to him as a bit of a, a figure of inspiration. It's interesting. Whenever people say Kojima, my brain drifts towards his first game. Which is Penguin Adventure on the MSX, if you don't know. <laughs> yeah, and I've not played that one. No, you should. Did find out how it's this. It got his. Sounds bizarre, but he's got stuff going on in there like, you're, you go, oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it starts off really benign, going, this seems easy. It's not. It's really mm-hmm. tough. And like, oh, wait, this seems straightforward. It's not. It's not straight. None of it is. It goes weird really quick, really quickly. So and he didn't just... play his first game safe then? No, he didn't. It starts, <laughs> I mean, how could you make an adventure about a little penguin weird? But he managed it. He managed <laughs> it. it. It involves fish and you catching them at a certain angle. And then when you do, things happen. I don't want to... It's a great game. I have streamed it. <laughs> I have streamed it. Uh, I might do it again sometime soon, actually, because it deserves a repeat. Because it's good. It's a good game. Yeah. I need and, to check that one out. Yeah, just uh, gather an emulator or something, and it's just yeah, <laughs> it's got it's got his fin- fingerprints all over it, all over it. Yep. But uh, yeah, um, I mean, I did get Death Stranding for free because I got an Nvidia graphics card earlier this year, <laughs> not a thirty eighty because that that's that's the last sort of month or so. But in July, I got a twenty seventy super, and uh, oh, here's a free game. Look, what? Oh, okay, this is the thing that happens now. <laughs> like I got a new processor as well, big upgrade on my PC, and they you know gave me Assassin's Creed Valhalla for free. I'm like, oh okay, I wasn't going to play on my PC. <laughs> I'm not going to complain, but it's the sort of game I play on my PC. That's Dolores, thank you very much. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, and also uh, regular listeners, I'd like to point out the guest said World of Warcraft, not me. Therefore, you cannot take a drink. There you go. <laughs> 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 so sorry yeah stuff so uh it's because it's my game that i go to to cite extremes because i think that is a game that is filled with extremes and yes. I, you know and uh it's very topical because a new expansion came out at the time of recording yesterday midnight well today so um that's a big deal uh yeah people still playing it and uh yeah it's 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 a it's, a, it's an extraordinary experience and people uh We've been through it, know what it's like. You have that sort of like sort of dark, sunken eyes, and like, yeah, yeah, I've been yeah. there. Four hour raid, <laughs> yeah, I've been there. Yeah, I I once led a raid as a healer. Pro tip: don't do that. Okay. No, because <laughs> all you got is sit there and go, I don't know, just hit it. It's not really helping, is yeah. it? <laughs> I pretty much played a healer, so I didn't have to lead a raid. So no, no, you can relate to what I'm saying, and yeah, just just yeah. just don't don't overheal, right? Don't no. do that. <laughs> it's a strange game because for yeah. me, it was like the first few years that I played it, it was just really magical, and I was like mm. in this absolutely humongous world yeah. with all these different areas and I was like this is cool like yeah. you know it's yeah. I'm living in another world and then it got to the point where I got to max level and it yeah. became like oh, I want to do end game stuff and I, all the immersion went and it was just all about numbers and key bindings and raid stats and stuff like that yeah um, when uh, when I had 
that spreadsheet for DKP, I knew at that point <laughs> I had to stop. Yeah. I had yeah, to stop because it became a job then. Like, no, I don't want another job. Thank you very much. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Yeah. I was sitting there leading the raid again as a healer. Then when we killed the thing, despite my ineptitude, um, I was then handed out DKP points. I'm like, I can't, I can't. <laughs> Yeah, strange. I can't do this. (laughs) So, speaking of video games that we're playing, Scott, can you tell us, what are you playing right now? So, I'm lucky enough to have a PS5, so I'm... Yes, we can join the PS5 Brotherhood. Yeah, so... (laughs) (laughs) And I am absolutely loving it. It's It's great, isn't it? It's a really nice console, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit big, Um, but it's great. Absolutely huge. Do you know what, as well, like... I knew it was going to be big because yeah. I'd seen the videos, I'd seen all yeah. the memes, and I yeah. was like, yeah, this thing's going to be big. I, I, I set aside a lot of space on my unit to, to get it in. Well, yeah. I, I thought I did that, <laughs> and I even measured it, obviously, not very accurately, and I thought, right, yeah. that's where it's going. Like, right. There's a good space for it under the TV and the yeah. little um, entertainment unit thing. And then I got it out of the box, I kind of went to slide it onto the shelf, and it just like smashed against the top, and I was like... <laughs> That's not fitting in there. There's no wow. way that's going in. Wow. Um, so now it's in another place. Um, yeah. But yeah, I have to sort of shift a few things around to yeah. make that happen. That's a big console. No, um, I put a big sort of shelf unit and it's completely, it's vertical. And it's like, you do that. Because I'm just so in a worry. Ever since the PS4 and it's sitting like a jet engine, I'm like, <laughs> can't be, can't abide this. So, you know, I fixed that because I, I basically sucked all the, the air, all the dust out of it, and that's fine. And that's helped a lot. Uh, I haven't opened it up, but just sucked the air out of it. And uh, whereas the PS5, I'm terrified of it overheating. Terrified. Yeah. I mean, so far, mine's been very cool and very mm-hmm. quiet. So that's a good sign. Obviously, it's like, you know, the first week, so there's not much dust in there. The, the games are probably a little bit easier on it than they will be in a few years. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd. I got to the point with my PS4 where it was like I have to play with headphones in because I can't hear what's going on otherwise. <laughs> it's impossible. So, <laughs> so what are you playing on? I mean, so, obviously Astrobot. That's a given. But <laughs> Yeah, so I, I've just finished Astrobot over the weekend. Nice. Um, and yeah, I think I tweeted about it. That game like blew my mind. Um, yeah. I played the VR version on PS4. One of my favourite games. Of yeah. 2018? Is it 2019? I can't remember. It might be 2018. 2018, yeah. I think it was 2018. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that game blew my mind. But yeah. I was a little bit apprehensive about this one. I was kind of like, is it just going to be a tech demo? Which it kind it of is, is, in a way. It is. But it's a bloody good tech demo. It's an um, amazing tech demo, yeah. Sackboy is really good as well. But Yeah, so yeah. I've not checked that one out. Um, yeah. I'll probably get around to that. So, yeah, yeah I, I played Astrobot. It blew my mind a few times. Gave me some really, really nice moments where I was just like, wow, this is I love cool. the tributes to the PlayStation, though. The fact that yeah. Sony acknowledges, really leans into its successes and failures. Do you notice that? It's like, yeah. I mean, they had this like add-on for the PSP, like a GPS add-on. Go, there you go. Do you remember this? No. Yeah, nor do we. Yeah, <laughs> but we, we did it anyway. You know, it's just lovely that they they, <laughs> they don't care about. Like, yeah, we did stuff. We got stuff wrong. We got stuff right. You know, and and it's just uh, yeah. When when I, when I sort of discovered the PlayStation One, which is really I got a lot of uh, affection for as a machine because it changed everything. It really did. 
And uh, yeah, I just love the little touches and the, and the it's riddled, riddled with just people doing reenactments of various scenes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I found myself just going around each level like ah, that's like Horizon Zero Dawn or something. That's someone sneaking <laughs> through some grass and ah, oh, that's like Devil May Cry. He's like doing yeah. some combo with the sword. That was really entertaining. I think the um, most terrifying one was the reenactment of Silent Hill and Pyramid Head. And like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that was the scream. Yeah, <laughs> like, it was. That's not something, that's not for children. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it, because it's obviously this really, like, pleasant, nice world of these little happy robots. Yeah. And then I started seeing all these little references, and I was like, are they going to put stuff in from yeah. some of the other games that they made, like Silent Hill? And yeah. obviously they did, and I think they did they a good did. job of it. That's wonderful. Um, what else have you been playing on it? So I got Spider-Man as well. Okay. Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, and that is a good game. That's a really good game. Yep. Just, yep. It just feels fun to play. Um, I, I think the that was 2018 when the last one came out, right? It was, that yeah. Just felt, it was, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, like the web swinging and the combat and stuff in that game was really good. Um, and this one just kind of builds off that, I guess. It's more of the same, but then it's got some nice new sort of features as well. Um, so I'm enjoying that at the moment, and it's really pretty. It's a nice way to kind of test out the new hardware a little bit. Um, right. Got all the ray tracing and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. frames per second. And yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's got the, what do they call it, like the fidelity or the performance Yeah, fidelity mode. of performance mode. People are generally going for, I think, performance i can't remember yeah personally i'm not i don't i haven't got um, spider-man i've been playing um well on the ps5 it's demon souls or um or um wrc9 because i like rally games yeah and they i can relax to rally games sounds a bit weird but you kind of start reading the track and then it's just lovely i just really like them yeah i found that with um it was Dirt Rally, wasn't it? Which was like the the yeah. more sim oriented yeah. one. Yeah. Um, I really got into that, and yeah. it was it was like the the least relaxing game, but the most relaxing at the same time it's because yeah, it's just super frustrating. It's kind of like like Souls esque, isn't it? Where it's just yeah. you make one mistake and you're done. But yeah. then once you get into the flow of it, yeah. and you start reading the track and you're hearing the audio of the um, the guy sort of telling you what's coming up next and stuff. Yep. It's like that. That is a good game. It's a good and uh, the, the the triggers, of course, the tactile triggers on the PS5 yeah. really sell it because it's just like, well, I really feel the car is being thrown around the corner because people who know Valley, it's really about you throwing the car <clears> around <throat> corners, but not to the point where you lose speed. That's that, that's the magic, isn't it? Just yeah, reaching that. But you got to know. You know, if it's a front wheel drive, which surprisingly a lot of rally cars do have that, which is weird. <laughs> um, but they basically push the car engine and everything in the front, and then you use that as a uh, like an anchor point around which you swing. It's just amazing. Yeah. And you just, you know, and there's some really good tutorials of the games these days. They're beautifully designed now. So yeah. that's why I play rally games on, on launch machines, because they're the games that really push the hardware. They really do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I'll have so, to check that one out because um, yeah. I, I do like rally games quite a lot. I like racing games generally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like you were saying with the the controller, like yeah. that was another thing that I thought: is it just going to be a bit of a gimmick? Um, Me too. But it, it's too. so good. It, it 
everything I've played so far anyway on it is amazing. Like it really adds to the experience in a nice way. It does. It does. Uh, and obviously as a developer, it's kind of exciting. Now my brain's ticking away and I'm like, what can I do with yeah. that? You could definitely do something with Hyperball. You could actually do like implementation of some of the things, especially when you're actually revving up to throw the ball into the goal. Um, yeah. There's so many things you could do with that. Speaking of Hyperball, should we do it? Should we go? Should we delve into second Come half on, and let's go. Let's delve deep, <laughs> delve deep into Hyperball tournament. we can talk about Hyperball Tournament in detail, you need to know what it is. So, in your own words, my friend, what is Hyperball Tournament? So, it's an arena-based sports brawler. That's probably the easiest way to describe it. It's kind of like football, where you take out all the rules, you give everyone superpowers and weapons, and just let them go for it. Um, so, it, it's fairly simple. The goal of the game is just to outscore your opponent. 
But in doing that, there's probably a lot of chaos to cause. There's lots of people to knock out. Um, we've got some mechanics that allow you to sort of curve the ball after you've thrown it. Um, and we've also got all these arenas, which each one is kind of unique. Um, so similar to football, you've got two goals and a ball. Um, but then in our arenas, we've got different shapes and we've got different obstacles that move around and open up and kind of change the way that you play the game a little bit. Um, so it's a combination of a lot of sort of crazy things going on in a football game, basically. Although you can't go out of bounds, which is awesome because you can yeah. bounce the ball off the off the side in Rocket League like manner. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and then you know there's there's similarities, lots of stuff going on, but Hyperball is very much its own thing, uh, definitely. And we're now going to delve into that. But yeah, it is basically a two-on-two match with um, full contact sport. So it's a little bit more like rugby than it is, or indeed handball, or indeed Australian rules than it is football. Because football isn't really a contact sport, contrary to what many players think. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's very, it it doesn't, it's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, also, it's okay to smack someone in the face when they're not holding the ball. It's, <laughs> that's that's something I've found a lot of players just go into the corner and have a big fight in the corner yeah. while the other players actually go, can we score a goal? <laughs> like, no, no, I'm just going to punch him in the face repeatedly because he's annoying me. Um, so, and you're right, that each, each, um, each arena is very different. I mean, you can have rotating walls, for example, and other things happen in it. And they have the, all sorts of weird and wonderful designs occur uh, in, in the pitches. But they are, you know, and you have to read the pitch. Because for me, or the field, or who would describe it, but you have to, or the arena, you have to read what's going on. Because when playing Hyperball Tournament, it's really important to exploit openings. Because they don't last very long, but they do occur all the time. Uh, and also the opening exists to create a goal potential or potential goal opportunity. Um, what do you do? What do you think you've done in Hyperball Tournament to encourage the player to read the arena, to understand that, yes, there's all this stuff going on, but ultimately you're there to score goals. Punching people in the face doesn't score you a goal. It's a means to an end. What do you do to communicate this to the player, do you think? Um... I guess the only way to win is to score goals. Yes. Um, so there is a lot of times when you you can be playing and your weapon's recharged. There's a guy standing on his own and you're like, right, I'm just going to go up and knock him out. But then in doing that, you've allowed the other guy to score on your team. Um, so it's all about that balance of um, trying to focus the play around the ball and what's going on there um, so that players should always be fighting over the ball and that should always be like the focal point of a match. Um, so I think, I don't know, I, I think we tried to base a lot of the fun in the game around what you do with the ball, which is kind of where the curve mechanic comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that allows you to sort of, basically throw the ball and then manipulate it through the air. So a lot of the obstacles in the arena, you can't just kind of shoot straight down the middle because it'll get blocked somewhere along the line. 
So yeah. you can curve the ball around that. You can curve it around your opponents. Um, and then another mechanic that we put in was allowing people to knock other players out with the ball as well. So you can control the power of it just by holding the trigger down. Um, so if you do a full power shot and someone's in the way, they're probably going to get knocked out or go back into the goal with the ball. Um, so we wanted to make a lot of those fun mechanics based around that um, to kind of encourage scoring, but also in a fun way. Excellent. That's it. It's basically anchoring the experience around where the ball is. It really is, you know, it's just, and also in relation to where the ball is in relation to other the other the goal, whether it's yours or someone else's. Mm. And the amount of times I've seen people drift off the way to the goal, like, where, where are you going? <laughs> well, look after the goal. That's your job. But no, stay where you are. And the amount of times, the amount of times I've had the argument with people, like, what we discussed this. Look after the goal. I'm out here doing the work. Did you stay there? Like. That's that's one tactic. It doesn't always work, Scott. You know that. <laughs> no. But uh, <laughs> so um, my next question to you is this, and it's something that struck me as quite quite interesting. Why you've done this? But um, why is the ball so heavy in high football uh, tournaments? So why have you made it heavy? Because I guess just to explain to the audience, so when you take the ball, your rate of speed is actually reduced by a good two thirds, maybe more. Well, why yeah. did you do that? So I guess there's a few things that came into it um, in that it wasn't really a, a decision we made. It just sort of came about because we've got that mechanic where you can knock players out with the ball. So we wanted to make it feel like it was a, a weapon in its own right, I suppose. Right. Like it, we wanted it to look like it hurt people. Um, you've also got these characters which are almost like superheroes in a way. Um, yeah. So yeah. we wanted those guys to feel kind of strong and powerful. Um, but then at the same time, it was kind of, I don't know, just to to make it feel like this crazy futuristic sport um, in which, you know, I think if it's like a leather football, it's not quite as exciting, but, you know, you're kind of thrown around at high speed. Um you couldn't so see what's going on, really, could you? If you, if that was the case, it was just picking around the, <laughs> it would be unplayable, wouldn't it, really? Because, yeah, yeah it just wouldn't work. But I just yeah, think it's sure. quite interesting how, it sounds like to me that you wanted to just reflect the physicality of the ball, whereas by, by more than accident than design, turns out this is also a tactical decision. Because yeah. when you're, because when you've got the ball, you're pinned. Seriously. I mean, you can move, but not very fast. And that's basically, you're, you're, you're done for. Unless you do, unless you do something quickly, unless you, unless you let the other player get in a position where you can pass to them and then they score, that's, you know, you've got to keep the ball moving, but you can't walk with it. You can, but not yeah. very easily. Yeah. Um, I think we wanted to, like, early on when we were play tested it, that didn't really exist. Like, players just ran at the same speed. Mm. with or without the ball um but we found that firstly a player could get the ball and then just sort of run away and no one would catch them if they were sort of agile enough i suppose yeah um whereas now if you slow the player down it gives the players without the ball a chance to catch up to them and give them a bit of a fight um 
And then at the same time, it was kind of just to encourage people to shoot as well. Um, yeah. yeah. Like we, the first thing that people did early on was just pick up the ball and run into the goal, like without doing anything, just run straight in. Um, so that's why we added the slowing down the pace of players yeah. so that it created more of a fight or it created a shooting opportunity. Um, but also we put in the, there's sort of like a force field around your opponent's goal. So you can't just walk in to the no. area, no. which encourages you to shoot and either score or miss. But either way, it makes the game a bit more exciting. So let's talk about special powers, of which there are many, in a variety of ways. And I just want to talk, some of these special powers, well, all of them can turn the tide of a, of a match very quickly. And I just want to ask you... Um, how were they designed? How did you set about designing all these to make sure that you created a balanced yet fun and challenging experience? What have you done? How have you created them? Um, so when we started with the game, um, it came from a game jam, essentially. Um, right, right. Where the idea was to make a sports game, um, which kind of created some arguments because half of us quite liked sports games and the other half detested them. Um, so our idea was to kind of fuse together something that it is a sport, but it's a sport that like people that don't enjoy sports would maybe enjoy as well. Um, so it takes away some of the kind of trappings um, with that stuff. So I think early on we had something really simple, which essentially kind of played a little bit like Pong. Um, but people could grab the ball and punch it out of another player's hand. Um, and then from that, we just started, we had something that felt nice and felt kind of competitive because it was just this multiplayer pong game, essentially. Um, and then we just started brainstorming, like what could we do to just make this feel a bit more fun or make the combat feel a bit more crazy and interesting. Um, so we always had something that was small that we built on top of. And then we sort of just focused on if we're adding this new mechanic, we want to make sure that it doesn't just mess up the rest of the game. So we will just focus on that mechanic on its own and see how it affects everything else. Um, and then there was a lot of things that went into the game, didn't work, and we just ripped them straight out. Um, so we always wanted to be sure that whatever we added was going to make the game more interesting and fun to play. Um, and also still balanced um, for both people that were sort of new to the game and just wanted some fun with it, but also people that wanted to sit around and kind of master the game and be really, really good at it. Yeah. I I actually quite like sports. I didn't like most games, actually. So I'm a bad person. To be. I like I enjoy <laughs> FIFA for what it is. Mm. Um, and uh, I even played some cricket games in the past, and some of them are really good. Some of them are terrible, yeah. but... You know, they, uh, it's, it's, from, because I've always said to people myself, you know, you do realize that sport is a game, right? Yeah. People, it's, they're playing a game. Oh, but it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it's, they're very old games. I mean, they've been around for thousands and thousands of years, as all games have, but they are ultimately games. Yes, they require physical exertion for the most part, not all of them. Uh, but, you know, you could argue snooker, not really. But, um, with regards to, but when it comes to football or great valley driving, we chatting about earlier, they're all physical exertion. I mean, you have to be 
ultra fit to do any of those things. And uh, but still, they have rules, yeah. and you have to abide by those rules in order to succeed in said game. And when you sort of highlight this and explain this, because it has all these systems in place, and over the years they've changed and manipulated them and made things, and then they add aspects to it and realise that oh wait 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 a minute, this is now made the game different. You know what what they did to tennis, for example. For years, tennis was blighted, blighted by the ace, where you could just uh, someone could smash the ball so hard that you couldn't return it. It was physically impossible to return it. They changed the game. They changed the physics of the rackets and the and the ball. They altered, they modded the game, so <laughs> the the game become more entertaining. Where rallies could actually occur, and then the game tennis res- made a resurgence, thankfully because they realised that people smashing balls and the other person standing there not being able to do anything wasn't very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just, it was dull. It was like. So it's whoever hits the ball hardest. There's not really much skill in that. Not really, no. So, yeah. you know, and they, they change things. So uh, it, it is ultimately a game, and it sounds like it's exactly what you've, you've gone through, the same thing with Hyper Brawl. Yes, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it is a sport in a sense, but I also find there's lots of crossover with, with, um, with other more arcadey games like uh, Broforce. There's a little bit of Broforce going on with... Yeah. Hyper Brawl Tournament, which is one of the funniest games I've ever played in my life. <laughs> um, and uh, there, there's also Speedball too, definitely. That's obviously in that, there. You that can't. was a, a massive influence. Massive sure. influence, although there's no one yelling ice cream because that's their <laughs> thing. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it, but it has other aspects to it as well, like you know, um, uh, sort of uh, platformer games, maybe, or a little bit sort of like. There's lots and lots of influences going on here, and it's it's it's, it's appealing to a lot of people. It's just like, you know, look at Pyre, for example, you know, by Supergiant. They made a game out of rugby, <laughs> <laughs> a three-on-three rugby game. And I actually said this to them. I said, you made rugby? I said, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't say it too loudly, but ultimately that's what we've done. But they made an adventure game out of it, extraordinary and very mentally challenging and ask very difficult questions adventure game but yeah. at its core there's a sports game in there um whereas with hyperball tournament you've 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 made something quite extraordinary but we'll talk about that later but before i do we've sort of signed off with that just one more question for you the aftertouch in hyperball tournament where you can actually move the ball and actually manipulate it like force and it's extremely useful you can actually guide the ball around other players on, on obstacles behind and, and shoot and score a goal. It's fantastic. It's not, it's not, you can't do extreme right angle turns with it. That would be ridiculous, but you can guide its course. Um, how did it come about? So we, we did look at, and obviously we've kind of spoke about this, we looked at a lot of retro games from yeah. the past when we were making Hyperbrawl. Um, and, you know, the project itself was, more about us just fusing together things that we liked into this sort of weird sport more than anything. So um, I think there was a lot of sort of like future sports and um, these crazy takes on sports back in like the 80s and 90s, um, which we all sort of grew up with. So we wanted to sort of like take elements from what made those games fun and interesting and kind of try them out in our own way. Um and I think you 
mentioned it just before the call about sensible soccer. Yeah. Um, and that was, again, a game that we all played and loved. And they're like, what, what things make that game sort of tick? And one of the things was that you could curve the ball and control it after you'd shot. Um, weird. It was very hard to do. But it yeah. was, but it was satisfying. It's like, yeah, once you yeah. can do that right, it's like, whoa, um, yeah. I can do some yeah. cool stuff now. Mm. So we we just kind of tried it out quite early on, really, in, when we were playing it, and it just it just sort of clicked. It, I think it really elevated the game um, and made it a lot more fun both to play and also as a spectacle, um, which was always kind of the things that we were focusing on. Um so, I mean, back when we first tried it, we were kind of playing around with how it worked. And there was a few days where it was absolutely ridiculous and like basically a magic spell where you could just fly it around for ages and do all sorts. Um, and that didn't quite work just because it was a little bit, a little bit Over- too easy to control. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't want to remote control ball. That's exactly. Not what we're asking. Yeah. Players chasing it endlessly as it's going around. <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, so we wanted to sort of narrow that down a little bit so the players have quite a small window of when they can control it. So if it hits another object, for example, you've, that's it. You can't yeah. keep on curving it. Yeah. Um, but also link it into the power that the ball mm-hmm. has. Yeah. So if you shoot the ball at like a really, really high speed, it's yeah. pretty hard to curve it because it's got all those additional forces on it. Yeah. Um, so players kind of have to choose between if they want to shoot the ball really hard, then it's probably just going to go in a straight line, which in some cases it's fine. But in other cases, you would need to curve it around an obstacle. So if you shoot with like a lower power, then you've got more control. So it's all about finding that middle ground of trying to have enough speed that no one's going to catch it, but also enough control over it that you're going to get it around that player or that obstacle. Um, but yeah, it was yeah, just to make it useful, effect. basically. To make yeah. it useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's something that I think a lot of players need to adjust to at first, but once they get it down, it, I think it really makes the game a lot more fun and interesting to play. Um, and, you know, some matches with us, like as developers with like God knows how many hours in the game, uh, just turn out like to these ridiculous sort of, um, like, you know, taking turns, just curving the ball at each other and trying to catch it and doing all sorts of mad stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I think it worked out really well just from as soon as we started prototyping it. It was one of those things that we were like, hey, let's not rip this out of the game. Like there's something quite nice about this. It, it um, goes back to my... Um beginning question which is you know reading the arena and uh, you say there's an opening but an opening is different depending on the experience of the player inexperienced players would require a massive wide gap so they can actually do something whereas a experienced player would actually manage to go oh yeah i can get through that there's 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 a player right there and there's no i'll be all right yeah and off it goes (laughs) and there's like next minute but you're right the, the the balance between the the power and the curving is vital because if you do it too slow, yeah, you can be able to manipulate it, but it's going so slowly, someone else is going to grab it. But if you do too fast, that curve is going to have nothing to it, and it's just that, yeah, it's and this is all split second decision stuff because yeah. you know a game uh, a session is no, it's very very short. It's, it's not 
we're not talking about Dota here, you know, when you're, <laughs> you, you're, you're 40 minutes in and you know you've lost, but you've got to keep going because yeah. Yeah, that's how Dota works. Um, or League of Legends. Uh, insert mobile of your choice here. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah. but, uh, it's not the same with Hyperbrawl. You can actually, you know, you learn from your mistakes. And, uh, there's, there's, I mean, I just want to sign off really with, um, which I couldn't really delve into here because it's not really a design question. But what I kind of like to say to everyone listening is that the amount of content and it, what you can do with Hyperbrawl tournament is phenomenal. You can have four player matches, local co-op, local, um, couch play or online play or a mixture of both. You can play a single player, um, like practice sessions or single player tournaments. Uh, and you could, it's just so much and it reflects very much what we're talking about the sports games because now the sports games are, you could argue, ridiculously bloated. I'm not going to say that because, uh, but they do have phenomenal amount of content. That many people do, you know, we probably know many of them that only buy two games a year, Call of Duty and FIFA. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and there's reasons for that because mainly because, you know, it's not right because I think there's a much more broader spectrum there, but the amount of content and, and, and what you can do experience of the game is phenomenal. And you've done exactly the same, the same kind of philosophy hyper brawl tournament you've actually said yeah you 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 play this more we'll reward you with stuff and it's great and i, I just uh i gotta applaud you for that kind of thing to saying look you know we can you can experience this game in so many different ways you can sit there for hours if you like or for 10 minutes we don't mind you know uh it's this is not an epic sort of uh this is not red dead redemption 2 <laughs> 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 so uh no, I just I had to say that I had to, I felt it was important because that's one 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 biggest takeaway is the sheer amount of content that uh, you're providing and the value for money is phenomenal. So yeah, fair, I've got to applaud you for that. Yeah, that's good to hear. I mean, it was always a a focus that we realised that there's different ways that people play games and yeah, like for me personally, I just switch between single player games and multiplayer games and I just yeah. play whatever. So you know, if I was without developing this, if I bought it, I'd probably just delve into a bit of everything. But we also know there's some people who don't touch multiplayer, they're not interested. So we wanted to make a bit of a single player experience where they could make their own team and go on this sort of tournament. And then on the flip side, there's people who probably only play multiplayer. Um, yeah. So, you know, we wanted a little bit for yeah. everyone, their own way to enjoy it. It's interesting how the multiplayer uh, communities evolved over the last 10 years. Some could argue devolved over <laughs> the last 10 years. <laughs> and it's something the industry does need to look into uh, because at the moment the only way people are dealing with multiplayer now is their own little islands. Yeah. Their own little discrete islands and that was they ring-fenced off and said no one else can come in because we just don't want 14-year-old screaming people. <laughs> and, you know, just don't want it. So, yeah, that's a, that's a discussion for another time. But... Hyperball Tournament, developed by Milky Tea Studios. Where did the name come from, by the way? Uh, I couldn't give you a specific answer because that would be right. my boss. But yeah. I think people just like Milky Tea. Uh, yeah, the, the guys that co-founded the studio and a lot of the early meetings that, when the studio was coming about, were yeah. resolved by discussions and lots of Milky Tea. Um, <laughs> so I think it just kind of happened like that. But. Like I said earlier, I mostly drink black coffee, so yeah, I know. Maybe not yeah. the 
the best employee, the most perfect no, right now. No, not on, <laughs> not on brand. No. So pla- platforms, this is a tricky one, platforms, con- you know, contemporary sort of discussion, but yeah. uh, topical, I should say. But uh, I'm going to have give it a shot. Here we go. It's Windows PC. Yes. Uh, Xbox One. Yeah. Uh, PS4. Uh, Nintendo Switch. Apple Arcade. Yes. Of which I'm a subscriber. Big fan. Big fan. I yeah. love that system. And then I believe it works on the Series S and X. I'd be surprised if it doesn't. Yeah, it does. And yeah. PS5 does work yeah. on that. So all of the things, basically, if you have a current generation machine or now, potentially, on its way, um, a previous generation machine, where well, it is generally, it is, you know, a generation machine, um, it will work on all those and also on your Windows PC and uh, your Apple TV, if you've got one, which I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing device. Little box about yay big and yet plays games. It's amazing. Um, but uh, Scott, you've been a fantastic guest. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you I've very much it. for uh, taking part in the show. I do wish you, you and your colleagues, the very best, uh, and you're more than welcome to come back and chat about what other game that you're currently working on in two or three years. Because trust me, we'll be here. <laughs> God, I hope so. So yeah, so um, yeah. In the meantime, Scott, thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch. YouTube and at our website, canorince.com.